Night Owl Podcast, Episode 42, The Haunted House of Torment, Part 2. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all your restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who've experienced them, and share them with you, right here. We're currently looking for more personal ghost stories or haunted locations, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightoutpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. Haunted house attractions have been around for over a century, and here in Austin, Texas, the House of Torment has been evoking fear and eliciting screams from guests for over 20 years. However, in a place designed to scare attendees with props, sound effects, and professional actors, in this long-standing haunt, the actors hiding behind hidden doors are experiencing strangeness that has them fearful to do their job. In the previous episode, we learned from some of the staff and founders that this haunt has been experiencing paranormal activity since its early beginnings at their Highland Mall location, and oddly enough, continues today in their current Ridgepoint location. Now, we dive deeper into the more recent activity experienced here at Ridgepoint from new voices that not only reaffirm some of the experiences we've heard from the previous episode, but bring to light some newer experiences that include physical attacks and rumors of a young girl's spirit. And finally, through the interviews and a walkthrough of the haunt, my team and I will make an eerie discovery that could be a source for the activity they're experiencing in the most active site, Haunt 3, The Haunted Manor. Stay tuned. I'd like to thank AG1 for their continued support of the Night Owl Podcast. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash night owl. That's drinkag1.com slash night owl. I also want to thank HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit, for sponsoring this episode. Go to HelloFresh.com slash NightOwl50 and use code NightOwl50 for 50% off plus free shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash NightOwl50. Some very quick announcements for you Night Owls. Firstly, we have the new video walkthrough of the home from our previous case, The Stowaway Spirit. Homeowner Whitney herself takes you on a video guided tour of the entire home, showing you where experiences were had and shares more candid updates on how things are going for her and Lucas in the home. Having you as a supporting patron means so much to the show, so if you can, please consider joining at patreon.com slash the night owl podcast. Supporting us here is the number one way to support the show and help us grow, and hopefully in time, we'll be able to produce more episodes. On top of that, when you join, you get access to exclusive bonus content like deleted segments from episodes, live event recordings, follow-ups from past cases, new interviews that surface pertaining to past cases, video walkthroughs of locations like the one I just mentioned, live Q&As with me and the team, and much, much more. When you join, you immediately gain access to all six years of our back catalog. So if you want more Night Owl podcasts, it's as simple as becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the Night Owl podcast. You can give as little as a dollar a month, although more is appreciated. Secondly, I have a bit of an apology announcement. Our summer tank order has had a minor setback. We got a majority of the pre-order shipments out already, however, I made a mistake on the final count of needed tanks and missed it by a handful. 
So there are some tanks we are having to order and print due to a miscount on my end. I really apologize for this mishap. It's only 11 folks out there that are going to have to wait a little bit longer and I've already emailed those 11 individuals about this delay. Everyone else should see their tanks very soon. They shipped out on July 24th. Check your inbox and make sure you check your spam folders because you should have received an email with your tracking numbers. Stay restless out there. In the previous episode, we learned from my interviews with Dan, Michael, Chase, Bailey, and Devin that even from its early beginnings at the Highland Mall location, House of Torment had something very unusual going on that was bothering the staff. These first interviews took us through the timeline of paranormal activity they experienced, and we learned that there were similarities but also differences with the activity at Highland versus the new Ridgepoint location. At Highland, there were disembodied voices, lots of shadow figures, and an overwhelming sense of being watched and unwelcome in certain areas of the haunt. Upon moving to Ridgepoint, staff began to experience newer activities such as shadow figures darting through the hallways, sightings of doppelgangers mimicking the staff, eerie figures climbing the walls, lots of reports of doors opening on their own, and mysterious footsteps heard throughout the building when staff worked late or alone at night. Another major discovery made through the previous interviews was in regards to a very commonly reported hotbed for paranormal activity at Ridgepoint, and that's Haunt Number 3, also known as the Haunted Manor. It appeared from the initial interviews that this particular haunt, located in the very back of the building, was where most of the reports were now coming from in recent years, and staff seemed to feel the most uncomfortable and in several cases fearful to be in that space. Now, join me as I continue to uncover more behind the more recent experiences here at Ridgepoint through new interviews. I'll also dig deeper and interrogate every eyewitness that you've heard so far to gain more into the experiences and mysteries surrounding them. Then, at the close of this episode, my team and I are going to be pulled away from our interviews by unexplained footsteps and noises coming from Haunt 3. It's here that Alexis, Franklin, and I will make a discovery that points to a potential source for the experiences that staff are having here at the House of Torment. So let's dive in. First up, let's hear from four new voices and the experiences that they've had here at the current Ridgepoint location. Hello, my name is Tristan Bonatorez, and I am the current uh, head of wardrobe for House of Torment. I first joined House of Torment back in 2016. So I started off as just a scene actor and everything like that. I started in the third haunt, actually, in the Graveside Manor. And I was in the library. We were all taught, basically, that you would show up, you would get into your costume, you get into makeup, and then you immediately would go into scene. So that way you can kind of get the layout of the land and everything like that. That was how we were all taught. So me being a young kid and everything like that, I instantly took that to heart, instantly got into scene, and... The biggest thing, though, was I would hear footsteps. I would hear the the huge actor doors opening and closing. And at the very end of the butcher's shack, which is kind of in the graveyard for the third haunt, I would specifically hear this animatronic go off. And it's still being used to this day and everything like that. It's a uh, disembodied torso, just on chains and everything like that, missing the lower half of its body. And it was a pressure plate. So you step on it and it would just start screaming and everything like that. And at the time, I didn't think much of it. I didn't care. I was like, okay, it was obviously somebody just getting into scenes. Somebody's trying to get the layout as well. So I didn't think too much of it until one day I showed up late because I had, I had school. 
showed up late, got into costume late, makeup late, and I noticed that every single person in the haunt was still near makeup. And they were just gossiping, they were talking, hanging out, everything like that. So I went up to them and I was like, well, why isn't anyone in scene? And they all looked at me funny and they said, well, we all like to wait until we absolutely have to go because there's not really any point. We know where we are, know what we're going to do. So you're kind of the only one that really does that. Why, why do you still do that? And I was like, well, then who the hell am I hearing? And so one day, a couple of days later, I made a point to show up as early as I can. Waited until I had a costume show up, got into my costume, waited until makeup showed up, got into makeup, and I instantly darted to my area in the third haunt and everything. After what felt like an hour of just waiting, scrolling through my phone and everything like that, I instantly started hearing footsteps. Hearing footsteps, I would hear what sounded like a conversation between a man and a woman. And it was, it sounded just like a normal conversation of just two people talking, laughing. I heard, heard the laughter and everything, but I couldn't quite understand what they were saying. So I made it a point to try to figure out where it was. And sure enough, it was all coming from the grave or the graveyard. So I basically just darted there as fast as I could. I started hearing more footsteps, heard the actor doors open and close. And the second I got into the graveyard, there was just dead silence. I was standing in the center of the graveyard trying to figure out where to go, trying to figure out if it was maybe someone in management, someone in tech trying to do something, but it was just dead quiet. So I called out like, well, hello, is anyone here? And instantly in the butcher shack, the animatronic went off. I just got the feeling that someone was just watching me, like I shouldn't be there. And so I just packed up my stuff in the library and I darted as fast as I could back to where everyone else was. And to this day, I still refuse to go anywhere near the third haunt unless I know someone is there or someone is with me. After that, time passed. In January of 2017, I was helping out the head of like construction at the time. He let me sit in the uh, control room, which is basically a massive room filled with TVs, screens where we can watch and make sure none of the actors are getting hurt, make sure customers aren't doing things they aren't supposed to do. And after a while of us just talking, having like a few sodas and everything, he gets up to go vape outside. And I'm watching him like go through all the haunts and everything just to get outside. And out of the corner of my eye, I see one of the actor doors just slowly open as to as wide as it can and then slowly close back. And that was the last of everything until 2022. The first time it's happened in a while was back in March, we were getting ready for halfway to Halloween. It was just me and my girlfriend at the time in March of 2022. And my boss, Mike, wasn't there at the time because he was gonna be with family. And I just heard like a lot of commotion, almost as if someone was trying to break into the haunt all the way down where the third haunt is. So me being pissed off and everything, I just kind of looked down the uh, egress to try to see if I could find something, if I could hear anything. And I just kind of see like someone's shadow, just kind of walk. And so I instantly grab a, a knife and I start storming down there to try to see who the hell is it, what's going on. And I finally get to where I believe was the source of location, which was the shop where all the tools, all the la latex and resin, everything like that was. And it looked like 
someone just went in there with a temper and just took it out of in the entire room. There were drills on the ground, hammers. There, we have these huge buckets of uh, liquid latex or even sometimes resin. They were just kind of thrown around. All the empty ones, the, some of the heavier ones looked like they'd been moved and stuff like that. And I just kind of quickly tried to clean up as much as I can, and then I just darted back. My name's Mark. Uh, I have been working at House of Torment since 2018, so I want to say that makes it four years if I'm counting correctly. I got into House of Torment because I've always grown up with it. The first time I've ever went to House of Torment was 2010. I was eight years old, and it was uh, my stepfather at the time who introduced me to House of Torment. The first time I stepped foot on House of Torment property all the way back in Highland Mall was 2010. And at the time, I was terrified to go through. So, you know, they always had the icon characters outside, all the lot monsters. So, you know, that always kept me entertained. Um, So ever since then, it's always been a, you know, more of a tradition for me to always go to House of Torment opening night, always kind of walk through. I started walking through the show in 2011. So ever since 2011, I always made it a time, a point to I need to go to House of Torment for the Halloween season. And it wasn't until 2018 when I first started. I started off as just a regular scene actor. And then from there on out, I excelled and moved up. So my current position right now is called attraction lead, which essentially what the job is, it's where I cover an entire attraction. The way we're set up, it's three different houses. So I have one out of three houses that I'm in charge of actor-wise and just performance-wise in general for that house. So with all that being said, this story dates back my very first year in 2018. Um, it was it took place in the second attraction, which at the time it was called Darkest Dreams. The way that I remember the story is that it was the beginning. It was the very beginning of the night. No, it was we were all heading to our scenes, and I was placed in a room called the Boiler Rooms. And the way to get to the Boiler Room, I had to go through three different two scenes and one uh, dark hallway. Um, and it's important to point out at the time that my attraction lead wore a black dress. So um, what happened is I walked in the scene and then the scene before the dark hallway, there was a strobe light. Um, And that comes into play uh, later on. But I walk past the strobe light scene, which is where the snake was at the time. And then I walk into this dark hallway and I see this shadow pass by me. It's a black shadow just runs by me. And at first I think, okay, it's probably just the attraction lead. She's probably doing her runs through the haunt, making sure who's in the attraction, so on and so forth. So I look behind me, I see nobody there. So something passed by me. And I would have totally seen that person if it was somebody in the strobe light, just because it was like, it was a constant strobe light. So it was, there was always some type of light in there. Um, So I just thought of it, shrugged it off, like, it's probably nothing. Walked uh, to my scene, and then when I got into my scene, something lunged at me. The only way that I can explain the, I I guess I can call it an entity, is it was a little girl in a purple or pink dress in the corner, jumps right at me, scares the hell out of me. I'm, and I'm the only one in that general area, so it's not like there's nobody else, you know, in the haunt at the time lights were off music was on just see something jump so i thought it was the other actor just playing a prank on me but then it it just disappears so it like rah and then fades away so i'm just like okay and you know the, the thing to point out is this was at the beginning of the night so i had this in the back of my head 
all night and it's like wow that was it was terrifying you know just to think about something wanted to attack me I guess you can say I've heard a lot of other stories and I've heard things so for example just recently about like a week or two ago on the class act side I heard a clink and you know this is when we were close so the building was completely empty just heard a clink of axes and never messed with it but then I've also heard things like props go off on its own you know a lot of things are on uh, motion sensors so for all for all I know it could have just been the wind but at the same time they don't really they don't really go off with just a breeze that um, that in the breeze isn't that heavy inside of the building so I'd have to assume something passed by there but I heard doors opening doors closing you know doors creaking and all that so it's it's just that kind of area where it's I don't know what it really is, but just with the experience that I've had knowing the multiple stories with, you know, this building in particular, I don't know much about the Highland uh, Mall location, but just with this building in particular and its ghost, you know, I'd have to assume always jump to the conclusion, it's a ghost. My name's Kyler. I've been working at Torment since 2014, I believe. This year, I'm now the stunt coordinator, manager, and uh, assistant performance manager. Throughout pretty much all of it, especially when we moved to this building, I've heard everyone's stories, of course. So everyone's got the, oh, I've seen this, oh, I've seen that. But I never had much myself. My girlfriend, Katie, and I, we've been coming up all the time to help out. And we stay here till sometimes like 1, 2 in the morning. And it started happening where... We'd be over in wardrobe, and on the other side of the haunt, we'd hear, like, some of the doors opening and closing, like somebody was walking through, and we'd be the only two here. That was the first kind of little, like, oh, that's kind of weird, like, I'm not sure what's going on there. But never really thought much of it, because, you know, it was way over there, it was nothing, like, crazy harmful whatsoever. And then last season is whenever I had my, like, actual, like, fun encounter with it, um... So I was the attraction lead for Haunt 1, and we'd always, like I said, we'd always heard everything over in the far side in Haunt 3, so I was like, I wouldn't even think about any issues over there. So I'm walking through, it's just like any other normal night. There's a group of customers that walks in front of me, probably 20, 30 seconds ahead of me. So I go behind them so I can like check on my actors and like make sure everyone's got water, bathroom breaks, whatever, make sure they're all good. And right in the beginning of the haunt, there's these, they call them fear flaps. It's like four rubber flaps that the people have to push through to like, so they can't see into the next scene. It's kind of just like a like grand opening kind of deal. But as soon as I go to push through it, I feel hands on my chest, like, like really hard on my chest, throw me back into the wall. <laughs> like it was a good like three feet back. So I fell back and like slammed in the wall. My first thought is that was that customer like scared or whatever so i'm like i need to go tell them like they can't do that so i run into the room i'm like nobody's here what's going on i walk up to the actor in the room i'm like hey where does that customer go and they're like oh they've been gone for half a minute a minute now and i'm like what do you mean they just pushed me i'm like no they went through the haunt like they were supposed to i was just like okay that's cool (laughs) so yeah it's the only like real experience i think i've had my name's Katie. I've actually only started working here last summer, but I've actually been coming to Torment since it opened when they were originally at Highland. I started out as a scene actor, as everybody else starts at Oded, whenever they're doing performance. Um, and this year, I'm going to be a runner 
I guess, for the haunt, for one of the first haunts. I, even though I was like just a scene actor and everything like that, um, there was an encouragement to start potentially doing some volunteer work up here. And I have some form of artistic talent. And so they asked if I could come up and I used a lot of my time that I had. If I had an available time, I came up here. So I was here all the time. And I was told all of these like behind the scenes kind of deals going on. And one of them was like how this used to be. Originally it was like a factory for like, I think, I don't know if it was Apple products or something like that. And then somehow it became like a church or something like that. I'm not really sure how that went. And then the reason why they were saying that was true is because there's a coffin actually that's in one of the haunts. And they said it was a real coffin and that they, they really found it here like from the church and everything like that. Um, and I asked if anything was in it, because, I mean, wouldn't you? And um, no, nothing was in it, but like, there's a lot of people, even though I've never seen anything and I've been here, sometimes I've literally fallen asleep here um, and woke up at like 7 a.m. So like, I've pulled all-nighters here, I've worked really hard here, but there is a ghost that I've been told that is here, like there's a presence and the presence's name that everybody calls it is Annie. And Annie typically goes, as I've been told, is around the third haunt, the one that's farthest away from everybody else. It's one of the freakiest ones to be in whenever you're by yourself here, just because that um, kind of white noise that you're hearing right now, like the air conditioning or like the people and everything like that, it's basically gone whenever you're over there. It's practically like pin drop silent. It's insane. And so that's, typically where most people have, that I've heard of, like interactions. Some say they've actually physically seen her as like somebody just roaming through the halls. And it is a manner, so it is kind of, just kind of really definitely adds to that effect. And then I've heard some people say that she kind of took on the form of like a actual customer that was like begging for help and like saying that they lost their, their parents. And so there's supposedly some actor that followed this little girl or what they thought was a little girl around through the haunt trying to find parents and everything like that. And then whenever she exited the haunt and everything like that, they went back and they told security and everything like that why they left scene. And supposedly, according to the security footage, they were just walking by themselves, just going through the haunt and talking to themselves. <laughs> so it's that's kind of what I've heard. And I've tried really hard to try and make my presence known so that potentially the presence would be like said back. I haven't seen anything, but it's really cool just like thinking about like there is some form of thing around here some people have been saying and this is just like what i've been told for like what she looks like she's kind of around i would say like waist height i mean i'm five feet so <laughs> my waist height i guess <laughs> around like six seven something around that maybe eight years old not sure like very young and she i've been told she has like longer hair and that as far as her outfit goes, I've been told various things from like a little dress to like some people have said that she's walked around in pants and a shirt so they totally thought she was real and she, they thought she was a real person and then they would go around the corner and she wasn't there. It's kind of varied on clothing. I mean, even in the dead, I would want to change clothes too, so I understand. With these new voices, we learn that whatever is here has been physical, as in Kyler's case with the aggressive shove, and there are a couple of new stories that indicate there have been sightings of a young girl spirit. Now, with all the interviews out of the way and all the stories gathered that I could, I needed to begin questioning some of these haunters, exploring their experiences a bit more in depth, because in doing so, I may be able to develop a solid theory as to what is actually haunting these haunters here at Ridgepoint. Following this short break, I'll dive into these deeper interrogations, and while doing so, 
my team and I will start to hear the footsteps and doors opening all around the haunt, which leads us to explore this place and make an eerie discovery. Stay tuned. When you need dinner fast, don't call for delivery. Think HelloFresh. Right now, you can receive 50% off your order plus free delivery simply by going to HelloFresh.com slash NightOwl50 and use the code NightOwl50. Instead of reaching for the phone or computer to order that same old boring fast food delivery, why not give HelloFresh a try? In the same amount of time it takes to order and wait on the delivery, you could be enjoying a home-cooked meal that's guaranteed to be fresh, delicious, and healthy. HelloFresh takes care of the meal planning for you and delivers the ingredients right to your front door so you have everything you need to prepare that fresh, healthy, and tasty meal in just 15 minutes or less. The pre-portioned ingredients help cut down on food waste, save time, and make preparing dinner a breeze, not a chore. With HelloFresh, saving time doesn't mean you're having to sacrifice taste. It's peak time for summer produce right now and HelloFresh makes sure you get the best ingredients possible delivered from the farm to your door in less than 7 days and that's quality you can taste. HelloFresh offers 40 recipes to choose from every single week, and their menus include calorie smart, protein smart, and vegan dinners to satisfy a variety of appetites and dietary needs. I recently tried the one pan black bean and pepper quesadillas, and let me tell you, this meal beat any of the fast food delivery options hands down. It was super easy to prepare too, because all the ingredients needed were there in the kit and pre-portioned already for me. This chef-created vegan-friendly take on the classic quesadilla which included lemon crema and hot sauce, was truly a delicious dinner for me. Take a bite out of summer with HelloFresh's new chef-crafted fresh and fit summer menu. Go to hellofresh.com slash nightowl50 and use code nightowl50 for 50% off, plus free shipping. Go check it out. I hate to admit it, but I just turned 39. Despite that, I've always been proud of the fact that I've been able to keep my body fairly lean and fit. When I hit my 30s, however, I began to notice that my body was starting to go through some changes. It's definitely becoming much harder to maintain my weight and keep my body fit. It's a known fact that the human body after age 30 begins to experience such things as decreased hormone production, bone loss, a decline in muscle strength, and lower metabolism rates. I decided it was up to me to take charge of my health and be proactive in looking for activities, choices, and nutritional resources that would help combat these changes and impact my everyday and long-term health in a positive way. One of the resources that I found has had a huge impact on my nutritional well-being is AG1. AG1 is the daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every single day. I decided to give AG1 a try because it simply is the easiest way to get all my nutritional supplement needs met with the highest quality ingredients. A single scoop of AG1 mixed with water contains 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and nutrients to help boost my body's health and energy. Since incorporating AG1 into my daily morning routine, I have definitely seen a boost in my body's metabolism and my overall gut health. For me, it's AG1 one scoop once a day every day to give my body the nutrition it craves and needs for better nutritional health. No one has a more vested interest in looking after the health and well-being of their own body than yourself. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash night That's drinkag1.com slash night Check it out. After hearing the newer voices and stories from Ridgepoint, one story that I wanted to gain some more clarity on was Kyler's physical attack. It's the only physical encounter we'd heard from this case, and I was curious if we could get more from Kyler on what the presence actually felt like. 
just getting as much detail as I can. Sometimes you can't remember, and that's okay. But mm-hmm. like general impression from the force, from the feel of what the hands were, do you feel it was something bigger than you? Or? Oh, absolutely. Okay. It definitely was bigger than me. Maybe describe what the, what it felt like to you. So, yeah, so as soon as I get to those flaps, it's two hands on my chest, clearly larger than mine. I mean, I'm about, what, five six, five seven or so, and I can tell it's, like, significantly larger than I am. Like, I couldn't see anything. I could just feel it. But if I could, it easily would have been, like, towering over me. It made me feel small. <laughs> of the stories that you've heard during your tenure here, has anybody else reported a push or a touch or anything of that nature that you can recall? If I'm not mistaken... The only things that I've heard that were physical were just, like, light grazes, kind of. Say somebody comes up and, like, swipes at your hair a little bit or something like that. Nothing, like, genuinely, like, physically and, like, malicious. Outside of the haunt, I've had a lot of other experiences ranging all over the place. So, based off of that, this is one of the more malicious, kind of, like, hurtful attempts I've ever seen. Well, around what time was this? Like, what year? This was last year in uh, 2021. It was around mid-October, I believe. Mid to late October. Kyler's experience took place in Haunt 1, which rarely has reports. Next up, I wanted to chat with Tristan a little more about his experiences and bring up the new spirit, Annie, since Katie was the only person to bring her spirit up so far. So in the, in the class act side... A lot of the past employees there believe that there was a little girl named Annie that roamed around the haunt, or specifically over in the Class Act side. Of course, back then, it was known as Mindspark, Great Room Escape. But I never once felt like it was a little girl. I never once felt like it was a child. The few times I've been over at what now is Class Acts, I always got the feeling that it was a man. And over here, I can never really guess some actors claimed it was a demon because I heard a story once that one of the chainsaws in the butcher room fell down and landed right next to an actor. And he immediately took that as there's a demon in here, there's something going on. But I don't get the feeling that it's a demon. I don't get the feeling that it's like a menacing presence or anything like that. I just get, I get the vibe that it's a man. That's my biggest thing. And you're still talking about the area that's hot three? The graveyard. The graveyard, is that also the manor or is that different? Yes, it's also the manor. Tristan confirmed there were rumors of Annie. However, his story, along with some others on the staff, had contradicted the stories of her being in the manor, or Haunt 3. They had heard she was seen or felt in the class acts and escape room side of the building, which is the opposite end and extremely far away from the manor. So this sadly didn't help clear up anything with regards to the new reports of the spirit called Annie. Out of all the places in the whole building, where are you most uncomfortable? It's always the third haunt. The first haunt is the haunt that has all the different hospital gear, the beds, everything like that. I've never worked in the first haunt as an actor, or I've never really had a reason to be in the first haunt to begin with. But I've never experienced anything, never felt anything there. The second haunt that we're in, there's absolutely nothing. Except maybe every now and again a door will open and close, but that's only specifically at night. But it's always the third haunt where there's there's something. Even as we were walking together, I just constantly kept getting that feeling of someone was just walking with us. Just maybe four or five feet away. 
Next up, following some of the new reports with the small girl spirit surfacing, some referring to her as Annie, I still wanted to dive a little deeper into Mark's experience, where he claimed a young girl seemingly rushed him and frightened him while he was working in his haunt. This was haunt number two. I wasn't sure if what Mark had experienced was the same spirit others were referring to as Annie, but I felt it was important to hear more about his experience. And since then, you haven't had any more sightings of this girl or anything of that nature? No, ever after that general experience, nothing has happened to me. I've heard stories, you know, from other experiences after my personal experience, but for me, nothing has popped up. Mark had mentioned earlier that he had felt the spirit may be connected to a prop that was designed to look like a girl curled up in a fetal position. Can you go into detail about that item? Like, what do you know about it and, and what was it? It's a it's a static prop of a female that's in a fetal position. Like, you know, it's crying, it has its hair, all that. It just lo- it looks super realistic. And it's it was wearing shorts and then a either pink or purple tank top is what it was wearing. That's all. That's really what I remember from that. I think we have it here somewhere, but... And I know it's going back a few years, but can you think of anything else that was in that specific haunt of significance that might have been like an older prop or an older item? Yeah, that specific, from what, if I, if my memory is jogging me correctly, that specific scene was kind of ripped from Highland Mall and put into this attraction. So it was a scene uh, surrounded by uh, gel doors or like uh, containment doors with a... Uh, a rocking box that used to be at the old attraction. So, and I've also heard about, you know, there being stories about the Highland Mall location. So, you know, a part of me also does think that maybe whatever it was, whatever entity or ghost it was, might've followed from Highland Mall to Ridgepoint. I I really do think it's connected to the items. Um, But, you know, I also do believe that it could be connected to the building just because with the what I understand what this building was before becoming House of Torment, I wouldn't be surprised if any of the spiritual stuff came from pre this the building its previous year. And it's I can't go over what it was just because I don't know. Like personally, I keep forgetting what this place was, but I do know it was like I wanna say it was a funeral home or something before. After hearing Mark say that this place may have been a funeral home. I began to really want to find out what was here in this location before House of Torment. Katie had mentioned earlier about the possibility of a church, and she described a coffin that was discovered left in the building when House of Torment moved in. I was really curious to ask Katie if she felt that there was anything in this building that might be a reason for Annie to be here. Or does anything trigger you to think like it could be tied to Annie? So far, the only thing I think is really, honestly, the coffin, just because it's been here supposedly before we were. Katie went on to reveal to me that the coffin was located in Haunt 3, the manor. The area with the most reports and where staff felt the most uncomfortable. There is a bit more I want to share in regards to testimony that I had recorded via phone interview that was after these in-person recordings. You already heard from him because I included it in the initial interviews, but Bailey had more to say regarding his recollections of the coffin as well. So the coffin had been there, the you know, whatever, I guess, they had moved in. I wasn't a part of the, the team yet whenever they were moving into the building. But from what I understand, it was there when they moved in and they put it in scene into one of the, the scenes in the manor. Now, I was not aware of this thing's existence until like two or three years into my working there. Well past my first experience in the manor, um, kind of deep into, 
you know, the the heebie-jeebies I felt over there is kind of whenever someone for the first time told me about it and pointed it out to me. Um, it was hidden in uh, the graveyard behind a bunch of like, you know, fake plants and just kind of blended in with the scene perfectly. So I never even thought twice about it. It was just there. But from what I was told when they moved in, it was it was set up and it had a bunch of rosaries and sage and stuff sitting inside of it. And they were like, well, that's absolutely creepy and right up our alley. There's no way we're not going to use that. Well, one of the guys who was who had found it, he took those rosary beads and sage and put them in his car. And he swears up and down that, you know, there's there's no weird energy tied to it, but at least to those those beads, I just can't imagine having the the balls to do that. I, I'm not I'm a skeptic, and I I don't know that, that just kind of strikes me as bad juju. But the coffin we absolutely used, and as the seasons went on, we eventually, like I said, put screws through it, painted it, yada yada, and, and kind of put it in scene. What's interesting from Bailey's testimony here was the discovery that this coffin was located near the graveyard. We just heard Tristan recount his eerie experiences of working in the graveyard and the voices and footsteps he continuously encountered. This coffin was definitely piquing my interest now, and I needed to find someone who was present when House of Torment moved into the building and was witness to this mysterious coffin that had supposedly been left in the building by its previous tenants. Thankfully, Michael was still in the building and was the man to talk to. The other thing is when we moved here, this used to be an Apple call center and then it became a church, a Hispanic church. Well, we found footage of the church on YouTube, but it's not nothing how when we got the building. So the church there that shows on YouTube is a typical church. You know, it it has the drop ceilings, it had everything and it looked like, oh, that's a nice inviting church. We got here, it was already stripped, no ceiling, no carpet on the floor, a couple of chairs, but mishmashed to where it was like, you do that when you're just making do with what you have and uh, carpet. And then there was a casket that was um, left here. For me, I've always taken it as in, it just looks like, you know, when you go to, um, uh, you know, when your loved one dies and you go to look at caskets, that's one of the viewing ones or one of the ones like, you know, uh, they're trying to sell you like a demo one is what it always, because it feels kind of poorly made. Um, or kind of man-made, and so that's what we always thought that's what it was. Um, but I always had no interest in opening it because uh, it was sealed shut, and I wasn't here, and they did. And they opened it. There was uh, a wooden white cross in there that we still have, and then a crucifix that I think one of our actors still has uh, when they opened it. And they just uh, screwed the, the door kind of off-centered and then just put it in scene. And we had it ever since then like that until last year. I decided, well, all the stuff that's happening, and I put the co- the casket in scene. We put a body in there. We put some other photos from a real uh, funeral in there. That's where it's been since then. But that's that's the real odd thing that we found when we got here, and the fact that I just found the or we had just found the videos of the church, which I'd never seen, which doesn't resemble what we came across when we got here. I mean, it, it's it, everybody's always had an eerie uh, encounter with it or always felt, you know, very uh, odd around it. For me, I've grown up, uh, you know, uh, my grandma was a Pentecostal preacher. Um, She had her own church and she'd always go do uh, uh, missionary work a lot in Mexico and other places. I mean, she'd do exorcisms. And so we just grew up in that life, you know, all of our life. 
And so as a kid, I, uh, I was drawn to it. And then like a part of the monsters and stuff then pushed away. I wasn't, you know, during the whole 80s satanic panic, wasn't allowed to be a part of it or, or see any of that. And then went back to church. And then now as an adult, I, I just like both sides of it, to, you know, interested in both sides of it. But so by nature, anybody here would always ask about or, or like, hey, what do you think of this? So that's just what I felt. Just like at a church, you know, they always speak of that's holy ground or that's whatever, that's consecrated ground. Well, this, that can be said about a lot of things and depending on what you do on that ground. So if that's what we're doing here, what was that left here for? What was that doing here? You know, if it was a church, okay, well, what kind of church or what was, you know, just because you label something a church doesn't necessarily mean it has to be for, you know, God, it can be for something else. So just, but just seeing that and it was left here sealed, just the imagery of that doesn't look uh, appealing. And so that's just what I always told them. I was like, I, my mom always told me, don't mess with, don't open doors you can't close. So I don't know what that is. I don't want to open that or even toy with that. But they opened it up anyway. And the activity that y'all had happen, would you say it correlated to the opening of the casket? I mean, it that opened in 2016 when we first moved here. So the only answer we can say is yes, because we didn't, we weren't here long enough. Tonight, I had both Alexis and Franklin with me, and they were both very interested to get over to Haunt 3 and lay eyes on this casket. I just had one more question for Michael, since he's been with House of Torment since its early beginnings. Do you feel like there's a, there's something that might have come from Highland? Do you have any sense of like similarities in some of the activity and some of the haunting? I never even thought about seeing if anything correlated, but because we brought... Besides, like, props, you know, the big monster stuff like that that made it over, very few items made it over besides, like, a, a big set piece or two. From what I've encountered, I don't think, you know, things have made it over. But just the same, whatever these things are, they've been around a lot longer than us, so they can be tricky and disguise themselves their that way. Or they've attached it or moved on to, to other people. I drove by Highland not too long ago, and the building's demolished. Like, they finally demolished it, which is pretty sad to see, but... I mean, maybe they'll be joining us soon. (laughs) Before I move into the final segment of this episode, I want to share with you something that Tristan brought up while we were sitting here in Haunt 2 doing our interview recordings this night. There was another night, before I had secured this case, that I was invited over by the staff to just pop by and meet everyone and see the haunt. I had gone by myself just because I happened to be in the area late that night. While I was there without my microphone, I had already gotten a taste of what my team and I were about to experience this night of our interviews. Listen to Tristan recount what happened on my solo visit to the House of Torment prior to beginning this case. When we invited you up here, sure enough, immediately after the clock struck 12, we instantly started hearing footsteps, voices, doors opening and closing, and it was just you, me, Mike, and Devin. Yeah, I was here, and you could hear it more like in this direction Mm -hmm. when we were up front. And there was no one else here. It was it was up to one. We were here till like one. And the second it reached midnight, that's when we started hearing footsteps, doors opening and closing, all different kinds of stuff. And I've never stayed that late at this haunt alone, but every single time I've stayed past 12, that stuff's been happening. And I've noticed since 2016, it's been getting worse and worse, almost as if either the spirit or spirits are getting bolder or they're getting stronger. Okay, listeners, it's now time to let you in on something I had a hard time figuring out how to edit into this episode. These interviews that you've been listening to were conducted on a night where my team members Alexis, Franklin, and myself visited the House of Torment and set up our recording equipment in haunt number two. 
where there was the least amount of air conditioning noise or interference. Well, during our interviews, my team and I were shocked at the amount of noises that we were hearing around us and coming from Haunt 3. For the sake of good storytelling, I didn't want to interrupt all the interviews and their stories, but they happened so much that we had to keep stopping the interviewer and rush off to try to chase down the source of these noises. Team member Franklin, who is incredibly skeptical and rational-minded, was visibly stirred by all of what we were encountering. He was getting so frustrated by the noises that he would dart off running mid-interview, come back later and tell us that he could not find a source. The most common sounds were footsteps. We could hear someone approach us or walk right around us, but a lot of the footsteps and noises were coming from the manor. We heard the actor doors open in the distance like reported as well, and a lot of taps, metallic sounds, and even some muffled voices. We made sure to rule out others in the building each time, and we were left dumbfounded and a bit frustrated, to be honest. Whatever was here seemed to be toying with us, and team member Franklin did not like that. It happens so much and it's all over the place, and sadly you can't really hear what we all are hearing on the recordings, so I don't want to play all of it for you. But here are a few instances during our interview with Devin in Haunt 2. Now keep in mind, Haunt 3 is just to our backs and not very far away from us. You won't be able to hear some of the noises as well as we could, but you'll get to hear all of our reactions and discussions in some of the segments. You know, in the dark, literally, um... There's something back there. Let me stop for a second. What time is it? It's 11.16. They're a little early tonight. Anybody back there? Hello? That was close. That was close, yeah. yeah. It was like, just seeing if it's going to continue. Yeah. Okay. It knows. <laughs> Franklin had brought some motion sensing gear, so he quickly took off to go set this up. But the noises continued. Franklin, was that you? Hello? What is that? What well, is that now noise? I'm hearing... Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. That was nobody? No. I mean, I mean, quiet. Mm-hmm. Devin attempted to finish her interview, but kept getting interrupted. Worked over there, named a small child named Annie. Was that Franklin? Was it Franklin? Franklin. Was that you? Did you shuffle? He's over there. Where did y'all hear that shuffle? Right there. You know, it's very weird. Because normally things don't happen in this one, in the, this this one right here. Usually it's more of over on that side. Sometimes over in the first haunt, things are happening again. Yeah, I hear it. My mic's yeah. facing you, so it's kind of muffled. I wish I could hear it more. Things shouldn't shouldn't be scaring you, like that's doing. <laughs> that was big. It's still going, right, Franklin? You're still hearing it? It's a lot. It's a lot, right? Hello? Is anybody back here? We're just trying to rule out people. Okay. It should just be us over here. Yeah. The only person that would be down here would be Mike, and he knows that we're recording, so. Yeah. His keys. Yeah. Yeah. He shuffles. This was just a tiny fraction of the amount of interruptions we had during the course of our interviewing process. It was getting late, and we knew we weren't going to be able to conduct a full, thorough investigation of this entire massive warehouse, including all three haunts and the escape room side, but Tristan and Devin and Michael were going to stick around and at least give us the full walkthrough of the entire building so we could get the lay of the land and plan our next visit. We knew on this walkthrough, however, we wanted to see this mysterious casket. 
I have to say it was quite fun walking the haunted house at night without all the actors and props turned on to scare you. We made our way through each haunt, working our way from Haunt 1 to Haunt 2 and eventually Haunt 3, the manor. And it was here that we passed through a room they call the Sigil Room, where it had a lot of painted occult symbols, floor to ceiling on every wall. Alexis and Franklin quickly stopped us in our tracks. They needed to point out something here about this particular space. That's heavy over here. So Michael Faust told whoever was going to do these symbols to make sure they're not authentic. Uh, but the second, uh, yeah, thanks to you, the second I came in here, I was like, oh no, they're authentic. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they're technically a little bit off. Um, uh, <laughs> a little bit. Like, like, oh. So, for example, this originally has two lines, and I added a third. Um, so it. just very little minute edits. What are you feeling? Is it is it causing some stuff? There's some weirdness over here. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's also because Even of what's on the other side. Yeah. Getting, yeah. I'm really curious. Getting what... flustered. I'm just like. Really? This is like things you don't do. Oh, okay. Yeah. So symbols. Even if you're just adding or changing something, like for example, in, in my tradition in Palomayombe, we use sigils very similar to this one actually. And before we're done, we have to add or subtract things sometimes, depending on what the spirit asks for. So you may have been channeling something that was saying, no, draw it this way. Essentially, the second I told Mike that these are all authentic, he's like, yeah, we're, we're getting rid of this. What do you think all you should do to this room? <clears throat> if you're going to, if you're going to repaint over them, you're going to need to paint it white first okay. and then paint it. Okay. Because Makes otherwise sense. all the symbols are just going to stay there. Apparently, Katie, who we interviewed and who was walking with us at this moment, had painted the hundreds of symbols on these walls in the sigil room. Her intention was to alter real occult symbols slightly, but Alexis and Franklin strongly believed this wasn't enough and that this room was possibly a negative source that could be leading to some of the negative experiences had in Haunt 3. It appeared that the staff were already planning on painting over it, and Alexis gave them a few important tips to clean the walls with solutions that he recommended before painting over it to ensure that the symbols were completely cleared. But as we pushed forward, Alexis began feeling very heavy, and we learned we were approaching the attic scene that Devin had spoke about in her interviews. What Alexis is about to walk oh, into very... Fuck. Uh, yep. Oh, fuck. What's going on? Hold on, let's, let's just take a break. <sighs> okay. So weird. So out of this entire third haunt, there's obviously three very big spots where everyone experiences things. One is that hallway we went through, which is just the Literally other side right of this place, the attic, and then the graveyard. It's just super depressing. So it is? a lot of this stuff came from all the estate sales, people, people's houses, everything like that. All the antiques, all of this has either been made, like obviously the, the dummy and everything like that, but it's all been thrifted in some way, shape, or form. And a lot of the stuff that is in this room came from the old location, which is where I had a lot of my experiences in that attic over there that they decided to put another attic in the haunt right here, filled with basically the same things. There used to be a lot more in here, but it still has that heavy, you know. It's very heavy. Yeah. Just I would like, seriously clean this space like as soon as possible. I mean, just from what Devin has told me alone over the years, 
from what I've heard about the Highland Attic, it was just filled to the brim with so much, like basically knickknacks that no one could really stay in the attic for more than 15 to 30 minutes without feeling like shortness of breath, getting a migraine. People would feeling the need to vomit. Sit, get sick. They would go and you know need to step out and go puke. Like a headache. Like. Finally, moving on from the attic, we entered the room with the casket. Oh, is this a coffin? Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ugh. So this was all that was left, according to Mike. And whenever, first off, it was sealed shut. And for some reason, certain actors felt the need to pry it open. Whenever they pried it open, it had all of these photos. No, it didn't have no, the photos. It had this photo, I have to believe. No, it had and a it rosary had, in there. Yeah, it had a rosary and some sage. This is a problem. Yeah. This is a problem. This is a big problem. What are you What are you getting right now? This was closed for a reason. Oh, okay. This whoever was here doing whatever they were doing that was like a spiritist church. This was like their death box. The altar box. Yeah, it was like the, where you keep the dead in, so they don't have to mess with it. They were doing some really fucked up shit here. Hmm. So what kind of like church do you think it was? It was spiritists. It was they were spiritists. They had to have been. Yeah. Maybe they used all was the crosses cross as like a there? front. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Which was it? The cross was on there, mm-hmm. and then there was a rosary. But yeah, I don't know where that is. Uh, what one of the icons. It, he uh, it. he took it and is in his car right now. Oh, okay. Mike is working on getting back. Okay. So we was there photos in there? Were there photos? Or we don't know for sure. I don't think so. Okay. We'll have to verify with Mike. Spiritualism was a big thing in like the 30s and they kind of splintered off. There's a whole sect that still lives in Florida. They have their own town Mm -hmm. and they don't do electronics or anything and they all just kind of focus on doing shit like this. And there's separate little sects all over the world where they kind of like have their own version of like uh, death boxes, altar boxes, where they kind of not say conjure, but they use it to talk to the other side. So, just for reference for me, is it kind of like a, a the Jewish dipic box? No. No? No? Okay. Because that's used for a purpose. This is like a way to like communicate. Mm. They think they're communicating with loved ones and, you know, entities that they think are, that they've created. What's actually happening is you're basically opening a permanent door for anything to come in and out of there. I don't know whose photos these belong to, but these spirits are not happy that they're scaring people because these these are photos of actual funerals. Mm-hmm. I think they I think they got those off of like Google. Yeah, these these types of things are not meant to be open. If you want to keep it open, fine, but you're gonna to need to clear the fuck out of it. Yeah. And even when I said that, something was like, "No, you fucking can't." Oh, I'm getting a headache. Okay. Yeah, we we'll can keep moving. Let's go. <laughs> We finished our walkthrough of Haunt 3 and had officially walked through every portion of this massive building. We made our way through each haunt, the hidden hallways and corridors outside of the haunts, and wrapped up at the far back end of Haunt 3. Walking back, Alexis still felt strongly that a lot of what was happening here had a connection to the casket. I think all your, everything that's happening over here is centering from over there. You literally, like, that That coffin was a battery, and you all just, like, put it inside, like, another... Yeah. And added more things on yeah. top of it. Yeah, like, energizer room. When we made it up front, Michael was there, and we felt it was important to share the thoughts Alexis was having regarding the casket with him, since he was the manager of the haunt. 
I don't know, you want to tell Mike because he wasn't there to hear it? It just, um, the photos, not the photos, but the people in the photos that were dead were pissed off because yeah. they were like, we, we didn't die to scare people. That was yeah. like the first thing I got. Um, of course, Sarah will probably be able to tell you much more. But the biggest thing is like, I didn't know it was that kind of casket. When you said it was a coffin, I was like, oh, a coffin. Maybe they, it's, that's a spirit box. Yeah. That, was, that was used for communication. That was a representation of death. And if it was sealed, it was probably sealed because it was be- it was used just for that. Yeah. I don't know if you can close it back up again. I don't know. But I'll, I, when I said we, that thing needs to be cleansed heavily, I got a voice in my head that said, "No, you fe- you can't fucking do that." Like, like good luck, basically. Yeah. So I don't know. There's something weird about that for sure. Absolutely. If it is what he's thinking it is, it's a it's kind of like an open source and doorway that could let anything yeah. come it, in. It's like a. It's like. Like a, a portal. It's like a con, like a like a, you've ever heard of the Frank's box that you like turn on and it goes yeah. through a bunch of channels and yeah. it, it's like a, a older version of that before it had batteries. Hallway that's going up and down. It's crawling back and going in there and then coming back out. Yep. That whole little area. Yeah, that's your problem. Gone. That's that's the heart of the situation. To wrap up the night, as Alexis Franklin and I were alone while the staff closed up. I wanted to get both of their final thoughts. What is sticking with you from the testimony and the walkthrough? From the, t- I mean, honestly, I'm not going to bullshit you here. I thought this was going to be a dead case. No pun intended. I thought it was like, okay, come on, haunted house, a haunted, haunted house. You know, I didn't even bring like half my protections with me because I just didn't think it was going to be anything here. But when we got to that side of the haunt, I was like, shit, I'm in trouble. I was even like looking for my stuff. I was like, oh crap, I didn't bring any of it because I didn't expect it. There's some weird stuff that has to do with whatever was happening in that church or whatever that was. That's what started everything. 90% sure <laughs> that's what started everything. And they were messing with some stuff they probably shouldn't have been. Like Franklin said, they were into some shady shit. That's what's happening. I don't think any of the, the rest of the haunted house was just fun. You know what I mean? Like everything else was like, oh, this is cool. This is cool. This is fun. You know, but as soon as we got to that area, it was like, oh, there's something weird over here. So that's what I'm feeling. With the amount of fear, I mean, it is a haunted house, like an attraction. So you've got, everybody's going to be screaming that energy, the intensity that's felt from people just knowing they're going to get a jump scare or whatever. How does that play into like the energy of the space? It sticks to some of the places. Like I kind of felt it when we're walking through the other part of the haunt, the first part and the second part. You could feel moments where it's just like, like, uh, like I jumped and that's, that's, there's nothing there. There's not even an actor there, you know, but just the idea of like, oh, that's a good spot where somebody gets scared, you know. Um, I think you can just feel it. And I think it gets kind of lodged in some of the walls and stuff and some of the decor. I think that sometimes that can manifest in different ways. Yeah, Mark's story about the doll. I think that that was literally just like fear that got installed into that prop and manifested as a form, you know what I mean, from just from fear. I don't think it was an actual ghost or, or spirit I think it was just the fear manifesting in, its, in itself and he may be like a little bit sensitive and that's why he was able to see it okay what were your thoughts thoughts are kind of all over the place yeah. EMF wise everything is nominal everything is normal at this moment all three of us clearly heard footsteps walking close by but all the staff were nowhere near us at this time footsteps hey just to rule it out is anybody back here any, any haunt employees back here? We're just hearing footsteps. Want to make sure it's not a real person. That's what we heard all night. This place is active. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, 
I don't subscribe to the fear thing as much. I subscribe to, I mean, the guy nailed it on the head when he said, like, things started ramping up from 2016 and up, and that's when they opened up the damn casket. And so when you, you opened up the casket, so that's trigger number one. I think trigger number two was putting it on display and making it part of the show. And when people walk past it and, and they lay eyes on it and they, they just kind of like look at it and you know interact with it, you're basically paying tribute to it, which is what they would have done in the church. And so you're basically feeding it little by little by little, and that's going to cause everything up to ramp up little by little. On top of that, you have all these knickknacks they pull from the state cells, and whatever was attached to that is probably being also being gobbled up by that, that thing. It's not a casket anymore, it's a thing. And so you have basically a vortex, and you have things that are being fed to the vortex, and the vortex is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. And it, anyone that it has any kind of sense is just going to get fucked with the whole time you're here, including me, someone who rarely ever experiences anything like I, I felt a stabbing sensation in my chest I felt lightheaded uh, especially when we entered the sigil room I mean you have you know Lucifer sigils you have Satan sigils you have like Fudon sigils and some other you know esoteric sigils you're kind of like hodgepodging it and you're basically calling all of these entities or trying to attempt to call all these entities at once powered by the casket and it's just like a perfect storm for shit to just come in and do whatever it wants essentially i would hedge a bet that 50 to 75 percent of the people who come through this attraction probably feel feel the most terrified when they get to that section just because it's dark probably on high alert already you had a lot of adrenaline pumping through you and you're going to a section that is designed to feed off of that Following a very lengthy interview process, chasing noises that we could not find sources for, and spending a couple of hours just walking through this entire building, I realized this case reminded me a lot of one of our past cases, Pioneer Farms. Although not as massive as a 90-acre farm with dozens of haunted sites on it, the House of Torment was a 40,000-square-foot building with multiple businesses and three haunts that are basically like mazes built within its walls. Not to mention each haunt has hundreds of objects, props, and furniture that have been sourced from estate cells, hospitals, etc. I already had a feeling that solving the mystery behind the encounters here wasn't going to be a walk in the park, and that we'd have to visit this place numerous times and follow various leads and theories. But I knew the next step was to bring in someone with the gift of seeing and communicating with spirits, so our friend Sarah was going to get a call from me soon. And the next time we'd come, we'd have eyes that could hopefully see who or what was toying with everyone and hiding in the shadows here at the House of Torment. Join us as this paranormal adventure continues on August 28th, where we'll return to the House of Torment for a late-night investigation with our psychic friend Sarah. Stay tuned. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Night Owl Podcast, and consider becoming a patron and supporting our show on patreon.com slash thenightowlpodcast to stay up to date with our show's news and events. Stay restless out there. I'd like to thank my investigative team, 
Sarah, Alexis, Franklin, for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair for his talented musical contributions to this show. My dad Sam for his incredible historical research. Bo for helping produce this busy indie show. Mikey for his assistance editing this particular episode. Sandra for keeping us all on schedule and on budget. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftwork Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. Do you have a song that could use a professional touch to get it across the finish line? Do you wish you could remove the sound of a loud air conditioner or distracting mouth noises from your podcast recording? Whatever your issue, David can repair and enhance your audio and help you achieve rich, full, professional sound at industry-standard loudness levels. Quit struggling with audio engineering and get back to creating. To discuss your options, reach out to David at driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com, and set your creative self free. 